open up with a word of prayer. Father God, we do come and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what we go through in life, you are with us, Lord, that we can rise up on the wings of eagles and you strengthen us each day. Lord, I pray you anoint this word this morning, a challenging word to your children. Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me through this and open up our hearts as Sal prayed before, Lord. And we just thank you. We thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> this morning, we're actually going to continue our discussion in the book of James. And today we're going to be studying verses uh, 4 to 10 in chapter 4 of the book of James. And we're actually going to build on the essence of what we looked at in the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 to 3. And just a quick summary of, of 1 to 3. And it begins with a challenging question. Now, James is talking to believers. He's talking to church folk, if you will. And he opens up with this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What's causing these fights on? Which is the root word of hedonism, if you will. And the way the word is used here, he's saying that these fights and quarrels come. They come because of our self-indulgence our self-satisfaction, and our self-gratification. And as I said two weeks ago, if you look at these three attitudes, right there at the beginning of them is self. Self. The battles within ourselves and with others stem from the residual effects of our sin nature that we want what we want. We want to get our own desires. And what will happen is in order to get that, sometimes we will end up quarreling and fighting with others in order to get that. And as I went through these verses, we saw that if adopted, these inordinate desires will captivate our mind. It can lead to jealousy. It can lead to envy towards those who possess the thing we want or stand in the way of getting what we want. It comes against those who possess or stand in the way. And human nature being what it is, which is really interesting, once we get it, we're not satisfied with it anyway after a while. It seems that buy a new car, and in two years, you want a different car. And we see that. How about kids at Christmas? They open up their toys, and two weeks later, I'm bored. Really? You just got these things you've been waiting for, and now you're bored two weeks later. It's human nature. And I paraphrased a quote from Mr. Spock. I was a Star Trek freak. And he said, after a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It's not logical, but it's true. It's called human nature. We get what we want, and we're still not satisfied. We always want a different position, a different possession, if you will. And we saw that the person in the situation being driven by these desires won't even bring it to prayer because they know it's not from the Word of God and it's not in the will of God. So they don't even want to come to prayer with it because they know in their spirit it's not the right thing to ask for. And the sad part is that this inordinate desire becomes so strong and the heart becomes so callous that in time, we ask for it anyway, and then we don't receive it, and we get angry at the people who are standing in the way of receiving it, and underlying it is that we're really to satisfy our self-gratifications or self-desires, and underlying that we're showing anger to someone else or quarreling with someone else, we're really quarreling with God, because he leads and directs our paths, amen? And Christian, I have down here, this shouldn't be, whether it's within the church or any relationship we have, because it doesn't display a Christ-like attitude within the body of Christ or to those out there who don't know Christ, who will look at your behaviors and say, that's who you serve? No, thank you. Amen? And now James will go on in the passage we're going to look at this morning with some strong, 
strong admonitions and state that this kind of attitude and these types of behaviors are nothing short of spiritual adultery and a rebellious heart against God. He says, if you continue looking to please self and looking to gratify self, it's nothing more than causing spiritual adultery and a callous heart towards God. So with that said, please open up to James chapter 4, and let's begin with verse 4. And it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Family, if we give in to the residual effects of the sin nature and take a hedonistic approach, are we not behaving like the unregenerate? Are we, are we not behaving just like the world if we take that kind of approach to things? And if we take that approach, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls us adulterous people. Now, I believe we all know what adultery is, right? It's marital unfaithfulness, is it not? And listen, in the original language, when he says adulterous people, he really puts it in the feminine tense, and he's saying, you adulteresses. Now, why might he put that in there? Because, church, we are the bride of Christ. Do you hear me? That's what it calls us in the scriptures, that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. Listen to Revelation 19, 7 to 8. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride, us, have made ourselves ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to us, her, her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. He is our bridegroom, and we are his bride. So we are the bride of Christ. And if we approach life from a temporal worldview, from a self-centered worldview, instead of a biblical worldview, or in Christ and his word, we are in essence committing spiritual adultery. We are leaving our first love for the things of this world. Church, there are only two objects upon which we can set our affections. It's either going to be Christ and his word, or it's going to be the world and its practices. There's no in-between. We either love the Lord our God with all our hearts so much. And now James writes, oh, I'm sorry, when he says the world cosmos, in the original Greek, it refers to the evil world system that we're under, that's under the control of Satan, and anything that really stands opposed to God. So anything that's opposed to God and his word, he's saying, that's what I'm considering, or what is the world, the cosmos. All right, and now listen carefully. What I'm saying here is that we don't, not build relationships with others. We are in the world, but not of it. We have to build relationships with others, or else how are we going to go out and share the gospel? We don't isolate ourselves from the world because we, many of us aren't in the ministry, and we have to go into the world to work and do or go to school. So we're in the world, but we're not of it. One of the things we're not supposed to do, what some people in the past have done, is we don't find a mountaintop somewhere and sing Gumbaya, waiting for the Lord to come. Or else we cannot go out and share the gospel. He doesn't want us to isolate ourselves. He doesn't want us to become an Amish type of thing where we hide ourselves away because we are here, we're called to the Great Commission to, what, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And, and we also want to be like our Lord, do we not? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Now, let me ask you a question. He was in the world, sinless, but he involved himself with others, the ones he came to save, so he could share his ministry with them, and now he's left that for us to do, to go out and share the ministry of the gospel. So we're in the world, but not of it, okay? You got that? 
So the statement by James doesn't mean not having a caring and friendly relationship with people in the world, but it does mean that we maintain our Christian worldview and a Christian lifestyle in the midst of those we are amongst. We don't compromise to win someone to the Lord. Remember, it's law and grace. So they have to see and hear that maybe the lifestyles of things that they're doing aren't as unto the Lord, but we don't condemn either. We share, we go in, we put the right Christian attitude like Christians in order to draw them into a relationship with Christ. We don't isolate ourselves. Amen? All right, we don't compromise, but we don't accept their practices. And listen, the word friendship is philia, and it means to have an affection for. Therefore, friendship is, with the world means this, an affection for and an adoption of non-Christ-centered and non-biblical philosophies, values, and lifestyles. And the difference, do you see the difference here? We're in the world, but we're not of it. We don't adopt the world's philosophies, though we're in there amongst the peoples to share Christ and his gospel. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do, you, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Nothing's changed, church. There are three root causes of sin. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we don't give in to those things. Instead, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm getting ahead of myself, we live for Christ, we live in Christ, in the world, but not of it. And listen carefully, bride of Christ, spirit adultery begins with those little flirtations with the world. You hear me? Marital unfaithfulness. And uh, I don't mean, I'm sarcastically saying, you don't walk into work one day and say, hey, would you like to sleep together tonight? And boom, yeah, you know, someone's going to slap you or you're going to get thrown out of your job. And it's the same thing. We don't start off. Usually flirtations or adultery starts with a little flirting. Oh, I'll meet you here. And it builds, and before you know it, they're in adultery. And the same thing happens spiritually. You start with those little flirtations with the world, and the compromise becomes easier and easier and easier, and you find yourself in spiritual adultery. Song of Solomon 2.15 says this. Opinions that are in bloom. It's those little steps when we start to bypass God's command try to justify or make it right in our minds. And as we start slowly transgressing or digressing from the word of God, it becomes easier and easier, and we find ourselves in hot soup. Amen? So we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to even make the smallest compromise to the word of God or our relationship with him. And look, neutrality, doing nothing, is also spiritual adultery. What I mean, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 30, that a person is either with him or against him. There's no middle ground. Jesus is not only our bridegroom, but he's our Lord. And he wants our allegiance to him and to his word. He's the Lord of our life. Yes, he is our Savior. Amen. We're justified at salvation, but he's the Lord of our life. He wants us to honor him with our whole lives. Read chapters 14 and 15 of the Gospel of John and see how many times or it alludes to that Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you love my Father, you'll do what he says. He's looking out of a love relationship, our bridegroom, that we obey his words, his principles, and commands, and we don't flirt with the things of this world committing spiritual adultery. 
to choose, and I have down here, yes, choose to be a friend or to set your affections on the things of this world is to declare by your words or actions, listen, I defy your rightful claim as sovereign Lord over my life. I don't want this man to rule over me because I want to go do thus and such. And in essence, committing spiritual adultery. And you may try to justify. It's only a little digression, a little transgression, but remember, it was a piece of fruit a bite out of a piece of fruit that got us in the mess we're in today. It wasn't the fruit. It was the attitude to defy God and his word. It's called sin. Amen? And listen carefully. The adoption of the anti-biblical philosophies, values, and behaviors of this world is to take a stand of animosity towards God and act as his enemy. Ooh, pastor, an enemy? Read what James says. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. Oh, listen, I love the Lord, but you know what? I don't understand how you pro-lifers stand on that. What if? Oh, I don't know how you love the Lord and you can't accept certain lifestyles. What if they love each other? God's word says in or out. Amen? Sold in or sold out. When we choose to have a friendship with the world, to have an affection for the temporal worldview, and thereby commit spiritual adultery, are we not joining with those who said, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And you may say, whoa, that's kind of harsh, kind of dramatic. Yeah, but there's, listen, you're either going to make the world and its ways king, small k, or you're going to make the king of kings your king and lord and savior. Amen. And I have down here, sometimes we take sin much too lightly. Remember the cost, and we're going to see it later. Remember the cost. Family, by giving in to the inordinate desires and choosing the ways of the world, aren't we in essence saying, oh, the values aren't that bad. They're not too far from what's going on. And I've said this before. Here's the world, and there's God's word, and the world's all the way over here. So if we're here, we're like, see, we're not doing so bad. No, the Lord wants us here. He wants us in the principles and commands of his word. Not relative morality, not relative sin. Don't compare yourself with what's going on out there. No, you com- we compare ourselves with the word of God. Amen? And listen, to minimize sinfulness in our world and our own lives is to minimize what is contrary to the nature of God, his word, and it's an affront to his holiness. He wants obedience. And we can look back in the scriptures and say, really? Yes, really. Achan, he took some clothes and a couple of pieces of silver. And what happens for God to show us? The Israelites are coming out of Egypt. That happens. Achan is swallowed up, right? Uh, and they stone him and they burn his whole family and that's it. And how about King Saul? Look at King Saul. Ah, okay, Lord. Look, I just kind of, uh, I saved the best of the sheep and I saved the best of the stuff so I could sacrifice to you. And what does it say? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken better than the fat of rams. And Saul loses his kingdom. He was a leader who didn't obey God, and the consequence was harsh. And the one I really look at sometimes, and my brother called me one time on this, he goes, Moses, all he did was strike the rock. I said, Rich, you've got to understand, he was the leader of God's people. If he disobeys, what's it going to say to the people? 
So the harshness of not going into the promised land, it seems like a harsh punishment. But what's coming is that he's, Moses, you're the leader. I chose you to bring my people out and to obey the words I gave them. And if you can't do it, what do you think they're going to do it? So he's harsh. So God disciplines. For, and as we go on, we see that spiritual um, adultery actually provokes the Holy Spirit to jealousy. Look at verse 5 of, Je- of James. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? You know what I have down here? If I thought that Teresa was making choices and saw some things happening of her maybe digressing our relationship, our marriage relationship, you don't think I would well up and say, whoa, what's going on? And try to defend my marriage? All right? Now that I'm saved, I might do it a lot different than I did 35 years ago. I almost got arrested for what I did 35 years ago. But we won't talk about that. But, um, and also one time she comes home, and she, I see her on that wonderful little instrument called the phone. And I see a message, hey, we're getting together today. And I thought it said Jacques. And I'm like, yo, Teresa, what is this? Who's this guy Jacques calling you and saying we're getting together? She goes, it's my friend Jackie. I was like, oops, sorry. But uh, do you see what I'm getting at, though? Those feelings of jealousy welled up that I wanted to protect my marriage. So I'm glad she was going out with Jackie instead of Jacques because I would have had to send poor Jacques back to the uh, impaled on the Eiffel Tower. No. <laughs> what James is saying here, though, is this. Listen carefully. In verse 5, the Holy Spirit, imparted to us by the Father at conversion, yearns jealously, jealously for total allegiance and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will convict us into that obedience, and then he provides the way to be obedient. He doesn't leave us hanging, but he wants us to be obedient to the Lord. Did you ever hear the voice? Come on now, Christian. The voice where all of a sudden you're thinking about a little digression, and you're, don't do it. Get back on the right path. Get back in. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting us to walk in the way of the Lord. Amen? And, um, And we, let me give you a hint, church. Don't ignore it. When that little voice tells you to walk in the ways of the Lord, don't ignore it. Because sooner or later, read the word, God can give us over to our sins. And let me tell you, that's the worst thing we can ever have happen to us when we are given over to our own sins. Because look at the world. Look at the consequences of the detriment of sin. The Holy Spirit is always at work convicting us and drawing us into a closer and more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He's always at work within us to mold us into the image of Christ. Amen? His goal is to make us more Christ-like. So when we move away toward biblical compromise and the things of this world, it's called spiritual adultery. And the Holy Spirit is going to fight against that because he doesn't want us to have another lover besides Jesus Christ. So thank God for his spirit. So when you hear that voice... Or when you feel that conviction, do what the Spirit tells you to do. Because if you don't, you're going to step into the soup, hot soup, and it ain't comfortable. And listen carefully, the Spirit of God will deal with the compromising Christian. And how? Internally. The absence of that peace, the absence of that joy and that intimate fellowship with God. Come on now, if you have some unconfessed sin, don't you feel like, I don't even want to go to prayer, like God doesn't know? He knows, but it brings external. Sooner or later, the Lord will discipline us in a way if we don't come back when he calls us to conviction and restoration. Listen to the voice. So now James will answer the next logical question. What's the believer to do? Marty? What's the believer to do when he gets into 
biblical compromise and spiritual adultery. Well, verses 6 to 10 will give us the responses for experience, forgiveness of sin, restoration, and fellowship with the Lord. First and foremost, church, listen carefully. This is so important. Every one of us needs to know that we have the assurance of God's grace. God's grace is available. We're never too far from his outstretched arm. Do you hear me? His grace is all about. He is our loving father, and he loves us. And just like if our children disobey, we want them to come back and be forgiven and restore that relationship. His grace is available, church. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, but he gives what? More grace. More grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Christian, we need to look at this in light of being New Testament believers. Listen carefully. God has already moved towards us in grace. Do you hear me? Or else we wouldn't be sitting in this church saved. He's moved towards us in grace. We must see that God's extension of grace in verse 6 precedes the believing sinner's response to submitting and drawing near to God. And let me explain why. Man has always been on the run from God. We've sinned against God. Everyone sins against God. But what did the Lord say? Where are you, Adam? He pursued out of his grace to restore that relationship. And he does the same with us. Same with us. And listen carefully. In sending his only son, God provided the work of redemption through Jesus Christ to save lost mankind. It's his grace, the grace of forgiveness and restoration of a relationship with a holy God. He's already extended his grace to us in salvation. Again, or we wouldn't be sitting here. And once we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, listen, once we receive the grace of God, more grace is available. More grace. First, that we have the full promise of forgiveness when we make the choice of sinning against God and spiritual adultery as he extends grace in the sense that we've already been saved, but now he's extending more grace to forgive us. And I have down in my notes here that it, in one sense it's one and done, and in one sense, and we confess our sins, we, he extends that grace and we're saved. We are justified, forgiven, clothed in his righteousness. And he doesn't say, and if you go out the next day and sin, you're out. No, he extends more grace in that he forgives us even when we stumble, knowing that we're jaws of clay and housed in the flesh. He will forgive us even when we stumble. We're saved by grace. It's, it's called sanctifying, saving grace, but he gives us progressive grace and to go through the sanctification process. Could you imagine? I got saved on Sunday, lost it on Sunday night because I sinned. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Church, we're redeemed sinners, and unfortunately, we're still housed in the flesh, and we're going to sin. And when we do, we don't lose our salvation because we're forgiven and justified and clothed in this righteousness at conversion. But listen, when we choose, and I say choose, to walk in sin or unwilling confession and repentance, that deep, intimate fellowship with God is severed. That lack of peace, that lack of feeling close to I've sinned against you and you only. And we look to confess and repent and turn from sin, and he opens his arms and says, come back. 
1 John 1.9 was written to Christians. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from what? Some unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. So one way to receive that grace or more grace is that he knows we're going to sin and that grace is always available for forgiveness. But here's the second way. And I think we really need to hold on to this because we never want to mock God and say we can walk in presumptuous sin and he'll just forgive us. All right? Second way, grace is available. And we really need to hold on to this. Listen, our battle against our desires is not more powerful than the grace of God that's available to us through the Holy Spirit. Do you hear me? Remember, we're new creations. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Listen to uh, John 4.4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. Do you realize that the fullness of God indwells in us, believers? The fullness of God dwells in us, and we can overcome, overcome, amen? He is our Lord and, and King, and as such commands and demands our loyalty. For us as Christians, not to give in to sin and temptation. In our own strength, forget it. For us who walked in the world before becoming a Christ, in our own strength, there is no way we can stand up against our own desires and the temptations of the world. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Listen, so he can overcome all temptation. He not only provides the saving grace, he provides progressive grace. And he provides a way that when we're in a situation of temptation, that the grace of God is available. That if we look to him and not to this and say, Lord God, I need your grace. I need your strength, Holy Spirit, to overcome. He will provide it. He provides that and he provides a way out. Amen? Listen to Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And how does he do that? By his grace. That we can obey and become more Christ-like because he provides the grace to do that. Amen? And with that said, look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Do you think there's anything new under the sun as far as temptation? No. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Any sin, trace it back. You'll hit one of those. And God is faithful to not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so you can endure through it. It is called grace. Amen? The grace of God. But here's the catch, Christian. It's not on God. It's on us. It's on us. And listen carefully. In order to humble ourselves, confess that sin, and be willing to repent and turn from that attitude or lifestyle. Amen? We have to stop the preoccupation with self and the preoccupation of the things of that world. And our mindset, our life set, our priorities, our choices should be Jesus Christ and his word. And that, by doing that, that's how you will walk in his grace and the voice of the Holy Spirit will be so loud within you that you won't block it out through the evils of the world system or your own desires of your flesh. And that is why the scripture says in James... God opposes the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. Grace. Are we too proud to acknowledge our sin? Are we too proud? Are we too proud to accept his grace and humble ourselves and say, Lord, I've sinned against others and I've sinned against you. I need your grace of forgiveness. I need your grace to help me overcome. 
And now James will go on to give a series of responses by the Christian that will actually exhibit true humility and brokenness of personal sin. Let's read verses uh, 7 to the beginning of verse 8. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Church, getting it right with God isn't just lip service. Oh, I confess my sin. It's got to be its purposing to really come to him and say, I want to evacuate this sin from my life. I want to be able to overcome so when it comes against me, Lord God, I don't give into my flesh, but I give into your lordship and overcome. We need to live according to the word and to God, not according to our desires, the philosophies and values of this world system. And as we actively desire to repent and overcome and draw near to God, God's going to draw close to us in his manifest presence and grace. He'll give us the grace. And please notice that submitting to God, listen, submitting to God precedes resisting the devil. The key to victory isn't focusing on the devil. The real key to victory is focusing on our obedience to the word and to Jesus Christ. Let's not give the devil too much credit. He can throw the temptation before your eyes, but guess who has to say, I'll take it? You and I. Amen? Don't spend more time talking about the devil and how he influences than saying what your victory is in the grace of Jesus Christ. We can overcome in Christ. Amen? Let me ask you, has the Lord made his accessible, his full armor available? The helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth. He's given us the full armor of God. Has he not indwelt us through the third person of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he has. What trial that comes our way because of the grace of God. Amen? So let me ask you, how can you and I actively participate and practically resist the temptation of the sin nature of the devil in the world system? First of all, I call this a Steinidi. My pastor's name was Stein. My last name's Caridi, so Steinidi. You need to know the Word of God. I can hear him from heaven. The word of God, the word of God. Exactly. We need, I urge you, to know the word. Renew your mind with the word of God. Align your lifestyle and choices, behaviors, and attitudes from a biblical perspective. And how do we get that? Through this book. We see God's heart. We see his mind and how he wants us to live. Listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know I had to get Romans in here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. When I went through Romans, he's referring to the sacrifices on the altar that we come and we sacrifice. We give ourselves as living sacrifices to God. That means everything, everything, all our desires, all our plans, everything. This is your proper act of worship. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we get into this book and we begin to meditate and bring, the Holy Spirit brings that word and says, "Mm -mm -mm, listen to my voice, step away from the temptation, and do it God's way. But we have to know what the Word says. And we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That means taking time to read the book, right? And listen to it and take it in and be in prayer and talk to God. Amen? When temptation comes, when it came to Jesus, what did he say? It is written, it is written, it is written. He used the Word of God, but please listen. He just didn't speak the words. He stood on them. He didn't give in to the temptations. 
He didn't compromise and say, well, you know what? I'm not going to turn the stones into bread, but I may take the cactus and turn it into gavilta fish. He didn't do something like that. He stuck with the word of God and was faithful. He didn't give in to the temptation. And listen to Psalm 119, 9 to 11. How can a young man, how can a young woman, how can an old man, an old woman, keep their way pure by living according to your word? I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So I won't sin against you. We need to hide the word, bring it in and hear, understand it, meditate on it, bring it to here, so when the temptations come, we don't act upon them. And the response of the believer who exhibits a submission to the Lord is the devil will flee from you. He don't like the word of God. He don't like the power of the Holy Spirit being exhibited through you as you come against the temptations. Amen? He will flee. He will flee. For greater is the one who is in you than the one in the world. Next, as Christians, please, we must purpose and take definitive action in repenting and replacing those sinful attitudes. My pastor used to call it the Ephesians 4 prospect. Put off, put on. You put off the ungodly attitude, behavior, lifestyle, and you put on the lifestyle of Christ. You put on the behavior of Christ. You put on the behavior that we are taught in the Word of God. Purpose to put off those old behaviors. And then I have down here in verse 8, he goes on and says this, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And when he says, wash your hands, he's talking about those sinful actions. Put those sinful actions away. Replace them with the principles of God. You can have a relation. Listen, and I have down here, and be wise. Stay away from the areas or those who are going to entice you into sin. Yes, we build relationships with the world and stuff, but we don't go into the world. There are certain areas that if you've had a problem with alcohol, please don't go into a bar thinking you're going to save those people in there. Because it's going to entice you to be dragged into that lifestyle. Amen? And I have down here, you can have a relationship with people at work. Oh, yeah, John's getting married. We were invited to his wedding. Great, great. Hey, we're going to his bachelor party. Sorry, can't go. Because guess what, guys? We'll be sucked right in to the attitudes, behaviors, words that come with that. And ladies also. I hear the bachelorette parties today aren't much better. So be careful where you go, all right, and who you hang with. Again, you're at work, you build relationships, but you don't go partake of the behavior, the attitude, the lifestyle, thinking, oh, I'm going to win them to Christ by hanging out with them in the bar. Or I'm going to win them to Christ by going out to a bachelor party and they're getting gooned and, and talking all kinds of garbage. Now, by the way you act in your workplace, by your witness, you win them to Christ. You befriend them, but you don't become part of the behaviors. Amen? And it says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And this means a change at the heart level, not just at the surface. The motivations of our hearts have to change. And who should our motivation be? Jesus Christ, to bring him glory and honor and not tarnish his reputation by living by the old ways or giving in to those desires. Amen? We can't be double-minded. We can't love both Jesus and the world. It doesn't work. No man can have two masters. He's either going to love one and hate the other or hate the other and love one. We can't have two masters. We can't be like this, one foot in the world, one foot in Christ. It doesn't work like that. God cannot be mocked. 
Listen to uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17. You know what? Turn there. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17. Please turn to that in your Bible. It's good that some people still use a Bible instead of a phone, so then I know when you got there. Look what it says here. Now, it's speaking of, can be speaking to the marriage, but look at this. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Huh? Well, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Well, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. What he's saying here, yes, we go to work and we're friends with these, but we can't have a deep, intimate fellowship with those in the world because they're doing things, saying things, choosing things that are contrary to the word of God. And why do you think fellowship amongst believers is so important? Why do you think the Lord says, come on a Sunday and join together in worship and fellowship? Why do you think the men's group, women's group, whatever it is, or we get together as, with, as friends in conversation, Jesus Christ. We're not in the world anymore. Uh, not of the world anymore. We're in it, but we're not of it. So we can't get into deep, intimate relationships with those out there. And church, these terms that James uses, wash your hands, purify your hearts. It's in the aorist imperative. It means do it now. When the Holy Spirit convicts, uh, do it now. If you're in a situation the Holy Spirit convicts you, listen to him then. Don't wait and say, oh, I should have listened. I blew it. Lord, forgive me. Listen to his voice. Amen? Avoid the consequence or the heartache. In church, as we examine ourselves and acknowledge our sinful bents, our repentance should be like we see in verse 9 of James chapter 4. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter into mourning, your joy into gloom. Ah, oh, look at this. It works. I got the little sticky thing here so I can turn the pages. Look at that. Christian, the person who really seeks to draw near to God, we're going to be affected when we sin. We are going to be affected. It's going to sicken our hearts when we sin against God. And hopefully our response will be like that of Isaiah. Look what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 6.5. He cried out, cried out, Woe to me! I am ruined of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Family, only when we see the degradation of sin, it's like that, to mourn and wail and be broken, when we really get to know the holiness of God, that he is apart from anything that was created, perfectly holy, perfectly pure, and that any sin against him is decadent. And when we get that idea, we will weep and mourn when we turn away from the scriptures or a relationship with him. Matthew's words in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, Blessed are they who see that they've sinned against the holy God. And when they are broken over their sin and mourn, we will be comforted. And by what? His grace. His grace. As he reaches out to us and says, Come, find forgiveness in my son. Come, if you're in my son, and have that restored relationship when you are forgiven of your sin. And a problem may be, 
that we never get so close to the Lord that we truly grasp the extent of his holiness and therefore we can't understand the depths of our sin. The closer you draw to God, the more you will understand his holiness and the more you will see the depravity of your sin and desire not to carry it out because you know what an offense it is to his nature and to who he is. Amen? These words can be echoed in Psalm 51. I'm going to ask you to turn there. Psalm 51, 1-7 and listen to the words of David who is finally broken over his sin. Psalm 51. He cries out, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in the verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Is that the attitude that we take when we sin against God to be that broken and say, Lord, surely I've sinned against you. Have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, wash me whiter than snow. And you know what? He does. He does. It's called grace. Again, the words of verse 9 reflect a thorough grasp of the hideousness of sin. Family, any sin, any sin against God is an insult against the one who demonstrated such a love for us that he would send his only begotten into the world to save us. And it's an insult to the one who went to the cross of Calvary and took our sins upon him so that we could be set free. So when we sin against him willingly, we mock the cross. We mock the cross. So it insults the Father and also demonstrates a lack of gratefulness and a lack of love towards the one who paid the price, Jesus the Christ. Amen? Ooh, a little harsh this morning, Pastor. Again, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I believe we can also negate this statement. I believe the opposite is true. If you don't keep my commandments, then you don't love me. Because out of an agape love, we should love and serve the Lord. Amen? And I have in here, in our churches in America today, we need to get back to truly understanding the holiness of God and the reputation he has for, or I should say the repulsion he has for and towards sin. And the blessed, best place to see that repulsion towards sin is right there at the cross of Calvary, where we're going to celebrate this morning what he had to do to forgive us and reconcile us to himself. We should be repulsed by sin. Amen? Throughout this revival, within a person, within a church, within a nation, it started over a brokenness of sin, understanding the holiness of God and how far we've come from that. That's why in Second Chronicles 7.14 it reads this, If my people, my people are who are called by my name will humble themselves and, and pray and ready and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. He didn't call the pagan. He said, when my people, it's got to start in the church. And unfortunately, the churches are adopting so much of what the world has to offer. 
The words of, from James in chapter 9 reflect the true acknowledgement of sin. A pastor like this should challenge each one of us to look at our perspective of God's holiness and the redemptive work of Christ and how we view sin in our lives. It's a shame that apostasies have entered the church. Many of the cultural practices that stand in opposition of God's word have not only been accepted, but are being practiced by so-called professing Christians. We have light shows and smoke machines instead of reverent worship. We set up tables, other stuff, instead of being here on our knees, broken before a holy God over sin. Sermons. Avoid the concepts of sin and hell, but are your best life now and self-help philosophies. And last week, one of the evangelists has, has one of the largest congregations in Texas, 40,000 strong, was with Lady Gaga at the Apollo Theater promoting the LBGTQ community and assuring them of their salvation. 40,000 strong. It's kind of scary, but that's creeping into the church. And I know pastors who embrace this man and welcome him into their churches. I don't understand. It grieves me because the time is short. And I, the more I study God's word, that road is narrow. And he wants those who are sold out for him. We can say a lot of words, but what's the heart reflect? What's the lifestyle reflect? Family, we have to ask ourselves, have we become too nonchalant in the acknowledgement and confession of our sins? And notice I said our sins. I'm right there with you. Each one of us must search our own hearts. Let me ask you, when we have been convicted of sin, do we simply say, oh, I'm just not going to do it anymore? Or do we find ourselves broken on our knees before God saying, like David, it's against you and you only have I sinned. Forgive me. Wash me with hyssop, make me whiter than snow, and help me, Holy Spirit, not to give in to that anymore. Church, we need to be broken over through restoration and deliverance. A fear is that a nonchalant confession is why we can so easily go back into those same patterns of sin. I won't do it anymore. And we go back. I won't do it anymore. But if we get broken before the Lord and understand his holiness and this transgression is such a horror to him and ask for the power through the Holy, Holy Spirit to overcome, he's going to help us to do that. Amen? If you truly desire victory over persistent bent of sin, then new creation in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, mourn over the depravity, mourn over the offense it is to a holy God who saved you, and give it up under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 10. Finally, James says this, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So it ends on a good note. Humble yourself. Do what the word says. Confess that sin, and he's going to lift you up. Without a true humility and repentance, that is accompanied by a deep remorse and brokenness of a personal sin, we will not experience the joyful experience of spiritual restoration. It's only when we see sin from God's perspective and mourn over our transgressions and humble ourselves before him, he will lift us up. Do you hear me? He'll lift us up. It wasn't until the prodigal son mourned and was fully broken over his sin and he went and his father did what? Lifted him up. That dad walked out on that porch night after night waiting for that boy to come back. And when he saw him, he ran to him. And as people have brought out, he lifted his pants, legs, and ran. And that was a sign of real humility for a dad to do that. 
And when he came, what does he do? He embraces his son. And that's it with us. When we will humble ourselves before the Lord, confess our sins in true repentance, our father runs to us and grabs and says, Ah, my son has returned. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Only you and I know the answers to certain questions. And here it is. Have we or do we find it easy to compromise our obedience to his lordship and the principles of his word? Only you know that for yourself. Only I know that for myself. All right? But let me finish with this. If we honestly examine ourselves and humble ourselves before the Lord in brokenness, God is just waiting to embrace us in full forgiveness of his grace and say, it's under the blood. And we go back into that peaceful, joyful intimacy with God and nothing is blocking us from it. Amen? He has empowered us to be victorious over the desires of this world. And if you don't believe that, again, just look at the table. Christ died for us so we could be forgiven with that initial grace, fills us with his spirit so that we can do in his overcoming grace. He loves us. And listen, he doesn't want anything, anything hindering our relationship with him. He enjoys that fellowship. He wants nothing to hinder that intimacy with us. So I have down here, come to the table this morning and purpose to make him your first love. You're all in all, desiring that nothing would interfere, nothing would take the place or hinder your relationship with him. Because if you leave sin unconfessed or take it too lightly, it's going to break that intimacy that we have with God. See sin as God sees it. See sin as a, an offense against a holy God. And also see yourself as a new creation in Christ that can live the life that God wants us to and enjoy that vibrant relationship with him that he wants us to. And let me leave you with this from Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then, as James said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves, and he will lift you up. Is this your desire? Is he your first love? Then live as if he is. Amen? If we're calling him our first love, let's live as if he is. And I would like to do something this morning. to watch a clip from a movie and really think about the horror of sin. And then when we come, we're going to take, get the elements and we're going to take some time because the word tells us to examine ourselves, to really look into our hearts and lives and say, hmm, hmm. Is there an area I really need to give over to the Lord? Is there an area I've really been struggling with? Look at the cost. Lord, I give it to you this morning. So Matt, if you can run that, please. And many of us have seen this movie, and it's graphic, but I'm doing it for a purpose that we really understand the horror of sin against God. And forgive me, I already cried.